It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Back in June of 1940, Hitler and the Nazis strolled into Paris, France, and took it. This sent shockwaves throughout the world. And now, August of 1944, the Allies are strolling back into Paris and taking it back. Hey, this is Eric. If you've missed the previous 71 episodes in this fun and exciting series on World War II, don't worry, we've got you covered. Go to ellersley.com forward slash daily and you will find that we have this whole World War II project organized just for you. Now let's get down to business and join the Allied troops as they approach this much-anticipated day of restoration. Uh, we are in episode 72 in a series called Spiritual Lessons from World War II. And uh, I, you know that I have had, just in case some of you are wondering, uh, people question if it's okay for uh, a pastor to walk through World War II. <clears throat> Isn't that a funny question? It's like, so my answer is simple, of course. Just because it's never been done before doesn't mean it's, there's something illegal against it. I mean, come on, what, who created these rules anyways? My desire is to communicate the truth of Jesus, and I love creativity, I really do. I love doing things from unusual angles, and so if you follow my history, you're gonna notice that I sort of break rules at every step of the way, rules that should be broken, uh, because they're unnecessary rules. They hamper us from being able to portray the truth of Jesus Christ. There are certain things that are essential when we handle the word of God, and that is that we rightly divide it, and as a result, we convey it in a way that is true to the text. And so that's the important thing in conveying truth, whether that's through poetry or whether that's through a movie. It makes no difference. It doesn't mean you have to, like, if you, could you imagine someone said that's an incorrect and unbiblical movie because it doesn't go through an expositional uh, book study. It's like, well, that's an incorrect way of looking at the way creativity works. Uh, God doesn't create these boundaries that you can only do it this way, you can only deliver my truth this way. So, as far as I'm concerned, I enjoy the liberty that I have in Christ to share the truth of Jesus Christ even in and through the amazing histories of World War II. And by the way, I think the histories of the kingdom of heaven are greater than any history I could ever divulge to you, like World War II. If you've noticed that every single session I give, the history of World War II pales next to what it reminds us of which is the history of the work of our king when he came to this earth and accomplished uh, the victory. So this one is called The Liberation of Paris, or if I was going to sound very French this morning, I could say The Liberation of Paris. <laughs> Some of you are very impressed with my French. Okay, my, as we progress, you'll notice my French will immediately start to go downhill. There's quite a bit of French in this that I'm going to try and struggle through. I even tried to search like pronunciation of it. I was really struggling. I mean, there, there has to be some great French pronunciation place. I could not find it this morning. I didn't give a lot of time to it. But I was struggling because I was like, I'd really like to be able to say this and impress a few people that are thinking I have no clue about French, which I don't have clue about French, but I wanted to try and con you guys today that I did. So the liberation of Paris. So we're going to do a flashback. Uh, if you've ever seen like a sitcom or something, even a drama series, well, they'll say previously on, and they'll go back. This is sort of like that, where I'm going to go way back in World War II. We're going to go back four years, and we're going to have a flashback to a message I gave called the Bordeaux Collapse. And uh, it's, so it depends on how detailed and how uh, 
how attentive to this series you have been to even have a clue if you know what I'm talking about. But even just a title like that might not be as clear of what happened. What is Bordeaux? Most of us aren't that familiar with Bordeaux, France. And uh, when, if I were to say, what is the capital of France? You might, you know, say Paris and be accurate, right? But Paris was the capital. And then because of the Nazi invasion in 1940, they're going to move to Bordeaux in the southern uh, regions of France because obviously if Paris is taken, that's not going to go very well for the government of France. And so it is taken by the Germans, by the Nazis. And so they're going to set up shop in Bordeaux. So that's going to become the capital of France in the 1940s. Well, in 1940, just for a few months actually, not even that long. And obviously the term the Bordeaux collapse doesn't bode well for where this is going to go, right? Uh, So Bordeaux, France, June 16th, 1940. France is hanging in the balance. And since we are now looking back, I think it's okay for me to give a few spoilers. And that is that France is going to fall. France, as I've oftentimes said throughout this series, France is going to fall like a house of cards. It is one of the strongest empires, I'm going to call it that, empires of history, is France. It is a war nation. It is built for, I mean, Napoleon uh, ruled France. I mean, come on, this is like powerful stuff, and they are just going to fall to pieces in World War II. And it's shocking, even to the world. It's like, whoa, what happened to France? But that's showing you also the strength of Germany. Germany is built as a war machine. France is a fading old war machine. They're they're not interested in war anymore. Either is Great Britain. These two great powers are actually pacifying and appeasing Hitler, and they're setting themselves up for uh, failure. And so in Bordeaux, this new capital, the question is, will France go to pieces? Of course, remember, this is a flashback. The answer is yes, they're going to go to pieces, but I'm going to sort of bring us back into that moment of decision because this whole message is basically going to put us in the position of being French. Okay, I've never been French, so this will be fun for us, right? And we're going to be French today as if we are the French nation and we have to make a decision about our future of where we're going to go. There's an easier way, and that's to be complicit, that's to... uh, Be passive with Hitler, who's a stronger military force, and he is going to kill us very likely if we don't just do what he asks. Or we could do a more dangerous route, and that is ally with Great Britain against Hitler, and our end could be really bad. If it goes goes poorly, it could be really bad. And so we have this tension that is being created. So the baffling forfeiture of hope. In forever, for in every conceivable way, you're going to have like when you read Winston Churchill's memoirs on this, he is baffled by what is happening in France. He's, he's just across the English Channel and he's staring there. He's just been uh, put in the prime minister position May 13th, 1940. This is June 16th, okay? So in Churchill's first month, everything bad is going to happen. I mean, it's just a disaster month. Uh, 300,000 of his troops are going to be caught and surrounded in Dunkirk, France. I mean, that's like 70% of his entire military armed forces are like stuck and surrounded by the Nazis. Then France is like waffling. And it looks like they may even capitulate to the Germans and say, yes, we surrender. It's like, no, no, you can't do that. It is irrational. You ha- look at the military force you have, just use it. 
Instead, there's this inner debate that is taking place in the French government that I would like to bring you into. I mean, what would lead someone to forfeit hope? Well, listen to this. When feelings take the lead and facts fall off the table, when you feel your way to your decisions instead of reason through what we could say as Christians, the word of God, the facts. Churchill is going to bring the facts to bear. It's like, you could do this if we do this, if we work together and do this. I mean, he's like, we can do this. We can take this. If you guys fall, well, then it puts us in a very vulnerable position as well, and we could then fall. But if we stand together, we could win this thing. I mean, he's just, he has all the facts, and he's laying them out. He has strategy, he has ideas. And France is feeling their way to their conclusion. It's a very emotional scene. Uh, that we see in Bordeaux. So just to give you sort of a, a picture, now this is going to be the France that is going to be formed as we progress. Because see that bottom blue area of France that says Vichy France? That's going to be the, like the puppet government of France that is going to form. So if you search you know, Vichy France in history, you're going to notice that not a lot of French people are very happy about Vichy France. It's sort of this alternate version of France in history, where for the four years period up until what you're going to hear today, this was actually the ruling power of France, but basically it was under Hitler. And so they were down there, and, and, and Hitler basically said, okay, I'll give you your little territory down there, but he wanted the entire coastline to guard and create Fortress Europe and the Atlantic Wall. And so Paris is up in the northern end, and I don't know uh, how good you guys are with your uh, French map. Well, I did, uh, Terrell was showing me that I can do this. There's Normandy right there. There's the Normandy coastline, right? And so the, the allies are going to come across here, and they're going to storm across and break out in Europe. One of the key spots they're going to go to is Paris. And so Bordeaux, you see it down here. I'm really liking this lighter thing. Of course, anyone who's seen the video of this is like, I can't see a thing. Eric, can you put the, 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 the light on the video? I can't do that. Sorry about that, guys. And so uh, that at least gives you the layout of France. So there were two. Doesn't that sound like something I would teach? There were two. Well, there often are, okay? And you'll even see it in Christian history that when evil moves into a culture, you'll have two versions of the church. You'll have the church that wants to give way to the government and just say, hey, let's please them. And you have the church that says, we cannot serve an earthly government, we serve King Jesus. And they go underground. Okay, you actually have the same exact thing. All throughout Christian history, this has happened. And the same thing is going to happen in France. You're going to have the defeatists, the ones that say, this is already over. There's nothing we can do about it. Let's just give up. Let's at least come to the best, most peaceful terms we can. And then you have this other group, to the very enders. No, I would rather die with my combat boots on. There is no way I'm going to surrender to the Germans. There is no way that I'm going to give this territory, our ancient homeland, over to Hitler. To the Germans, they, they didn't have a good relationship, by the way. The French and the Germans. <clears throat> uh, so they call them the Hun. The Hun. It's sort of a scary thought to think, I am German, so I'm, I'm a Hun. You know, it just sounds terrible, right? <clears throat> So here's two key characters in our flashback. I'm still in our flashback. So on the right, uh, well, your right, my left, uh, and I put it this way because I always you know, try and separate out uh, the twos, right? So you have Philip Patan, who we're going to call the doubter, and then you have Paul Renaud, uh, the believer. And Paul Renaud is the, like the prime minister at the time, and he's the one uh, that believes that 
that France can do this. And so you'd think if the key man who is leading the government believes, well, isn't that all we need? Well, not if the entire infrastructure underneath is undermining it and, and emotionally falling to pieces. And that's exactly what's happening. So the crisis, Philip Patan says, France is finished. Now, what's interesting is Philip Patan, if you study World War I and you didn't know World War II, this would shock you because Philip Patan is the hero of the Battle of Verdun. I mean, he is a legendary character, militarily speaking, for France. He is the guy that pulled them through in World War I. And now he's literally going to become the goat uh, in the second part of the story. In World War II, he's literally going to become the bad guy in France. In French history, he's a bad guy. As strange as that is, it's, the, it's a weird turn of events. Uh, Paul Renaud says, France has hope. And so you see this tension of the defeatists with the never-enders, uh, or to the very enders. <laughs> That's a funny uh, term for it. So what I want to do is bring us into this, okay? And I want you to recognize that when there is a movement of evil, upon a culture, that there is a propensity to go in the Patan direction. There's a, poten- there's a propensity, there is a pull, and it wants us to compromise. It wants us to give up to the evil. It wants us to capitulate and to kowtow, and yet there it needs to be a fight within us to say, hey, the kingdom I serve will never fall. I am not about to capitulate. I am not about to make terms with the evil one, okay? So this is a tension that we're facing in our culture right now. As the church, as you have this COVID nonsense, I'm just gonna call it what it is, it's COVID nonsense, and as it creeps into the, into the culture, it is literally creating the same tension amongst church leaders. Where it's just like, well, you know what? We just don't want to get on the bad side of the government. And you have this other side, which is just like, well, the government isn't what we're trying to please. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We have a mission. We have a job to do down here, and our job description was not given us by the government. It was given us by the king of all kings. He has assigned us a task, and that is to do this, whether it's legal or not. We will do it. You know that throughout Christian history, the church has never gathered because it was legal. In fact, for most of Christian history, it has been illegal to gather. And so now you see this tension of saying, well, but, you know, the government is frowning upon this, it's like, what, why do you expect the government to be on the side of the church in the first place? You see, our choice is not to go against government. That's not our desire. Our desire isn't to wake up in the morning and say, I would like to snub the government. No, it's to submit to the government in whatever way we can. But if the government is going to ever ask us to violate our chief commission to serve the kingdom of heaven, the glory of Jesus, and to walk in agreement with his word, we have no other choice but to stand up in disagreement. And what looks like rebellion on this earth is actually obedience in heaven. And so it's very, very important that we walk through this process and we understand the same tension has existed throughout history in various forms. It existed in World War II as we see here in France. So the crisis, oh guys, sorry, it's, it's a little low on the screen. Go to the left screen for this one. We must come to terms with Hitler. And then Paul Renaud says, we must come to terms with Great Britain. In other words, Great Britain is standing there as an ally, and they're like, could we work this out? And Patan's like, I don't trust Great Britain. And Paul Renaud says, but you trust Hitler? I mean, it's a really good point. It's the same thing. You know, we look out there, and we have the body of Christ, and we have all these denominations, 
And we could have the same thing where it's like, we must come to terms with the government. And then the other side says, I think we need to work with the other denominations. <laughs> and then the Patan side says, I don't trust those denominations. And then the Renounce says, I trust the denominations more than I do an evil government. And it's the same uh, dynamic that is taking place. So Philip Patan, quote, to make a union with Great Britain is fusion with a corpse. And I, I have to admit, Great Britain didn't look very attractive at this time, Okay. They had had the Neville Chamberlain government, which you'd have to go back in my series to really understand, but it was a passive government, an appeasing government. Oh, Hitler, whatever you want, we'll do for you. Basically, it, it enabled Hitler to become Hitler, okay? And it is disgusting in so many re regards. It is terrible, and it looks weak. However, this government is no longer the Chamberlain government. This is the Churchillian government, and Churchill's going to come in and whip it into shape and say, guys, we're standing. We're standing against evil. We're standing on the side of good. Let's do this thing. And yet, Philip Patan, you know, he has a decent point here. It's a fusion with a corpse. And Renaud says, we can still fight. We can still continue. We can move our government and our naval forces to Africa. We can unite with Great Britain and win this thing. They can. In fact, if you were to look at it on paper... Even in hindsight, France could have done this, and they could have actually turned the tide of the war, but they are not being led by facts. They are literally blinded by emotion in this situation. It is emotion. They won't even reason. In this Bordeaux meeting, they're like yelling at each other, and they're not even, there, there was a, an actual proposal on the table that they never reviewed. They had a proposal. They had thoughts that they could have actually made decision on, but there was so much emotion. They don't trust Great Britain. They don't want to have anything to do with Great Britain. And then they're yelling at each other. I picture, you know, a piece of paper being wadded up and thrown and hit someone in the nose. In other words, it was unhealthy. It's not the way you want to lead a nation. It's not the way you want to make key decisions in a nation. So Philip Patan says, in three weeks, England will have her neck wrung like a chicken. By the way, Great Britain and England, same thing. And that's the famous quote that gets pinned on <laughs> Philip Patan throughout history now. In other words, it's like, yeah, in three weeks, England will have her neck wrung like a chicken. And by the way, it looked like that would happen. It did. So I, I understand where he's coming from. But as a result, he is going to choose to side with Hitler instead of with the good guys. This guy was a good guy. But he is going to literally choose the side of darkness because he thinks it has the greater odds of success. And so Paul Renaud is going to say, I prefer to collaborate with my allies rather than with my enemies. I would rather go down in history with that as my quote. <laughs> Don't you guys like uh, this guy, Paul Renaud? Uh, I mean, he's sort of a likable character, as you see him say. He's like, I like that guy. He has some backbone. So then Philip Patan says, better to be a Nazi province. At least we know what that means. See, he doesn't trust Great Britain. He's like, he'd rather be a Nazi province because at least we have the terms we know what that would look like. So the Bordeaux collapse. Philip Patan is in. Paul Renaud, out. So Paul Renaud is going to, because of the friction, he is going to step down from his position and he is going to resign. And, you know, in history, you sort of think, was that the right thing to do? Should he have fought more? He basically is saying, look, I have no voice left in this government. They're all going with Patan. 
And so he is going to resign, and uh, Philip Patin is going to become the new leader of France, Vichy France. It's not really France as we've always known France. It's this funny, weird version of France that all Frenchmen sort of discount as real France, you know, in history. It's like, well, yo, yeah, Vichy France, but that wasn't real France. Because it's going to be a puppet of Hitler. That's all it is. It does what Hitler says. In fact, Patan is going to be tried after, I shouldn't get, this is a spoiler, but uh, he's going to be tried after the war. I mean, there's serious war crimes here. You know how, how he treats the Jews in his time in Vichy, France? He is going to implement the same things, not to the extremes of what happened in Germany and what's going to happen you know, out east, but to the extremes where at least 3,000 Jews will lose their lives because of Patan's uh, laws that he is going to implement in respect of Hitler. In other words, darkness is being allowed in because he's not standing against it. So uh, Philip Patan will become a Nazi puppet throughout the war, and Paul Renaud is actually going to become a prisoner. So he's going to be imprisoned. He's a political prisoner, and throughout the war, he will be imprisoned. So this is going to show you at least a picture of the German occupied zone and then the what we could call the free zone. I, I don't know that the free zone is the best way of describing it. It's the Vichy France still puppet. As long as they do everything Hitler asks, well, they can have their freedom. Okay, a lot of the church in history has chosen the free zone instead of what the opposite is. Like, what do the other people do? <laughs> and well, they're going to actually either escape or be forming little militia groups inside of France to rebel, which is a whole different movement that's going to take place. But there's this whole group of free French, uh, the free French resistance, that are going to actually go down to Chad, the country of Chad, and they're going to mobilize and train and then come back and actually fight in World War II. And so uh, you see that red line, that's uh, fortress Europe. That's what Hitler wanted. He wanted to create the barrier. That barrier is going to go all the way up through Norway. And it's going to create the Atlantic Wall is what it was called. General Charles de Gaulle, he's a very tall uh, man, a very serious looking man. If you ever see pictures of him, you always try and find a picture where he's smiling. And, uh, but this, this character is going to become a, a crucial character in World War II. So uh, the great escape of the man of French resistance. So this man uh, is under Paul Renaud. He's with Paul Renaud. He agrees with Paul Renaud. And once Renaud uh, resigns, now de Gaulle is in trouble. He's going to be arrested and made a political prisoner as well, but he wants to stand for free France. And so uh, Churchill is going to help him. And so this is from Churchill's memoirs. <clears throat> Winston Churchill says, So that very morning, the 17th, de Gaulle went to his office in Bordeaux, made a number of engagements for the afternoon as a blind, in other words, as a cover, and then drove to the airfield with his friend Spears to see him off. They shook hands and said goodbye, and as the plane began to move, de Gaulle stepped in and slammed the door. The machine soared off into the air while the French police and officials gaped. De Gaulle carried with him in this small aeroplane the honor of France. He escapes. Isn't that a great story? I, I definitely trimmed down the story a little because this is still a flashback. I mean, we're way back in 1940. I just want to give you all the raw materials. De Gaulle escapes, and he's going to 
basically hide out in London uh, for the next four years, and he's going to be over free, the Free French Resistance. So he's going to be over Free France. He's the one that wants to uh, rally all the different, because there's all sorts of French troops that are going to escape out of Dunkirk into England, and he's going to bring them under his, his care. And then all of the uh, colonies, the French coloni- colonies around the world, they're going to all gather in Chad, and they're going to begin to build a military force. Decisions, decisions, decisions. So we have decisions. Now, just imagine if in 1940, that room full of emotion, if we could have said, hey, guys, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in August of 1944. Hey, guys, will you settle down? I just want to tell you, this is what's going to happen in August of 1944 is the Allied force is going to come bursting in through the shores of Normandy and they're going to sweep and break out into Europe and they're going to go straight for Paris and they're going to take the capital city. And all of you that stand against uh, this alliance with Great Britain right now and that side with Hitler are going to come under judgment. I'm just going to tell you ahead of time, this is what's going to happen in four years. So now make your decision. See, how would you make a decision different if you actually knew what was going to happen? <laughs> I mean, because, right, I, like you, you heard me say, Patan, I get where, what he's saying. It looks like England's about to go down. Why would you want to fuse your life and your future and your honor with a corpse? Hitler's too strong for us. There's no way we can stand against him. So you can see the emotional reasoning where they're just like, you know what, I'm going to vote for me in this situation. I'm going to vote for what's best and most comfortable for me. I think I can make the best situation for myself and for my family if I side with Hitler right now. And so as a result, he's going to sell his birthright for a bowl of red stew. And so if Esau were to see the end of his decision, would he have still made it? I don't know. Those are good questions. You almost get the the thought that fools make bad decisions even when they are told what's going to happen as a result of their bad decision. But let's put ourselves in this position where we're the ones in this decision-making process, and it's not a nation, it's a life. It's an individual life that needs to navigate through this incredible pressure, this political pressure, this, this social pressure that is upon us to kowtow and to capitulate. You know, just wear a Black Lives Matter t-shirt and everything will be fine. Wouldn't it be awkward to be in a job where you had to wear a t-shirt that celebrated Black Lives Matter? It's not because black lives don't matter. It's because of what that represents. Like, for instance, I believe in choice. So you could say, Eric, are you pro-choice? Well, what do you mean by that? I am pro the idea of you having a choice in your life. I'm not, a, I'm not for the idea of you not having choice. But I know what you mean by that, which is the issue of being able to choose to murder a baby in your womb. And I am not supportive of that. So you're anti-choice? See, it's, a, it's an issue of words. And the same thing has happened with the issue of Black Lives Matter. But could you imagine what that would be like if you're in a job? It's like you need to wear this for your job. Wow, that, 
becomes an issue. Do you appease? Do you say, hey, well, for the sake of my job, I'm going to do it? How do you do these things? This is where Christianity, this sort of like the rubber meets the road, where we recognize we have one life to live and this body is used as a representative tool to showcase the glory of God to the nations. Is there any point in time where we capitulate and say, well, I guess in this situation it wouldn't matter because my job is at stake and God obviously knows that. That's what Philip Patan is thinking. It's better to make a decision that would save our lives than to stand up and risk our life. Are you sure about that, Mr. Patan? Because you're actually giving up your life and your reputation and you're gonna die in ruins because of this decision. See, he doesn't maybe see that. He doesn't see the future. In the, in, in the, in the Bible, the Hebrew uh, concept is that every part of the body is representative for like a forehead to the Jews would be symbol of, uh, it could be defiance, it could be decision. You know, it's like set your forehead like flint. It's like, huh, eyes, mouth, ears, all these things have a symbol to them. Just like feet underneath a foot means dominion. Well, the back or the back side of something, the Hebrew word acharith, a fool doesn't see his back. Well, which makes sense, right? No, it, this is the way to understand it. A fool doesn't see what follows his decisions because he's not circumspect. He doesn't see all the way around. You see, a wise man knows where he's going and knows the results and the impacts of his decisions. And so a fool doesn't consider the aharith, doesn't consider the backside of the matter. And that's exactly what's happening to Patan in this situation. So let's just imagine that we could get some data out on the table before we make our decision, okay? Before you make your decision to capitulate to the culture, to subside into silence, to allow the culture to use you and to use your back to declare their mottos. What if we were to consider, well, like the sad end of Patan. After the war, Patan was tried and convicted for treason. He was originally sentenced to death, but due to his age and World War I service, his sentence was commuted to life in prison. He died in 1951, and I could say, in ruins. I mean, this is a sad story of a man who the French would have considered one of their greatest heroes. And he is literally going to die in ruins. Why? Well, I just showed you why. He chose self, and he reasoned out of his emotion, and he chose to side with evil over and against the good because he felt like the evil would offer him a greater stability long term. And that is just an untenable, unwise decision. We go to Proverbs and we can test it, and we're going to find that's not the way to go. Now let's look at what is coming for us. You know, here we are, we're France in the story. Let's just say it's an amazing thought, but God actually tells us what is the backside of the matter. He tells us what's coming. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Matthew 12, 36, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Romans 14, 12, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Romans 2.16, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, there is a day in which there will be a reckoning, a judgment. 
Revelation 20:12. and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. In other words, our works, our words, our decisions are going to be weighed in the future. So it actually matters what we do in the now. It does have impact, and God has already given us the end of the story so that we know, oh, you mean the Allied troops are going to sweep into Paris and take it? And anyone who has stood hostile to the real purposes of France, what it was all about uh, in the first place, the ones that said, no, we need to stand for France, they're actually, all this Vichy government is going to be judged as traitors. Oh, well, if you knew that, maybe you would think differently when you're making these decisions. All right, so there we are in the middle, the French flag. I know, how does it feel to be French, guys? Sort of fun to be French for a day, isn't it? And then over on your right uh, is Nazi Germany, sort of a, a square version of the Nazi Germany flag. Boo. Okay, all the bad stuff is going to be over there in my illustration, okay? It's, it, what's nice in history is there's very few things that you can just say, that is evil, and everyone agrees. And a Nazi flag, everyone just agrees, so it's a great symbol for, for me to use right now, right? And remember, I am German, okay? So I have an extra measure of freedom to be able to criticize uh, Nazi Germany. And then over on the left, Great Britain, okay? Yay! Now, Great Britain has its own flaws. It's not a picture of perfect, right? But it's going to be the picture of good in this, okay? You have to make a choice, the same choice that Patan and... Uh, Renaud had. Are you going to choose to side with Nazi Germany? Are you going to side with Great Britain? Because there's consequences to your decision. And so there I'm putting you in there. Traitor or statesman? Well, you choose. Uh, God says, you go this way, that's a traitor. <laughs> you go this way, that's a statesman. This is how God has designed you to stand in the midst of trial. He wants to train us and groom us how to handle the small moments in our life so that we remain with an allegiance to the king instead of waffling in favor of the darkening culture. How about this one? Give up or fight? You see, there is so many reasons just to relent and just say, yeah, look, I don't want this to be my battle. I have had that thought go through my head. And in fact, I've probably even said it to the staff. I'm really not, this is like famous quote from Eric, I'm really not looking for any more drama in my life. But I don't know that we can keep our mouths shut right now. Oh, this is... This has happened multiple layers uh, deep. I, I, and I could, I'm not going to give you illustrations of this, but there are moments where it's just like, we all know as a staff, if we open our mouth, we have battle. But if we don't open our mouth, we're capitulating. Oh, I don't want to open my mouth, but we have to open our mouth. Okay, my mouth just opened, guys. Uh-oh, there it goes. We're starting to speak. And yet, it's because the kingdom of heaven must must speak. It must stand. Doubts or trust. You see, Renaud is like confident that France can win. Are you confident that God is going to win? It's a very simple question. Do you believe God is going to win? It says that in the end, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You're like, well, yeah, but that's like in the end. We could have like thousands of years between now and then, which means defeat, 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 defeat. And I don't want to be a part of defeat. I just want to have peace. Welcome to the world of Philip Patan. 
Choose Jesus is what I'm going to say. Choose the more difficult road if necessary. Choose to sneak onto a plane and escape to hide out in London, to train in Chad, to return to the beaches of Normandy and make your way to Paris. Choose the harder way if necessary. The liberation of Paris. So that's the, the official name for it. Uh, that's the name of our message too. August 19th through 25th, 1944. D-Day is June 6th. So and we've walked through that in your semester, June 6th, and then we've had all sorts of challenge. Remember us just trying to get our, our movements going and we just had so many difficulties uh, of just being able to move our troops, all sorts of attacks back on Great Britain and, and terrible storms. It's been a very difficult thing getting our momentum, but woo, we're starting to get our momentum back. Eisenhower is going to end up, he was over D-Day, but he's going to then take back over the Supreme Command position over the breakout in Europe. And so he's going to be over this, even though it's actually General Patton, and this is General Patton's uh, movement against uh, Paris. However, there's a lot of politics in this. Remember, the French don't really like the British. I don't know if you've ever studied that in history or just picked up on it in movies. <laughs> but they don't get along well, which is funny for them to be allies in, in World War I and in World War II, because they don't like each other. They don't trust each other. Now, not that they like Germany. They don't like Germany anymore. However, that's why Patan choosing Germany over Great Britain. Talk about a slight to Great Britain. I mean, Great Britain wants their health, wants their strength. Hitler wants their doom and demise. And Patan chooses Germany? Come on. If you're going to choose someone you don't like, I would go with uh, Great Britain. And so in this, we have a lot of politics. So who's going to liberate France or Paris? And so what happens is Patton wins all the battles up to that point, and then all of the Free France soldiers come in, and they're the ones that are going to do the finishing work and be the ones to deliver Paris. Isn't that an interesting tactic? In other words, so the French people themselves feel like they were rescued by their own people. And that's actually the way it will go down in history is that the French people are going to rescue the French people. It's actually brilliant. If you want to look at it politically, that was a good idea. And so the French people respond well to being rescued by the French as opposed to by the British or by the Americans, which I don't know if they're a big fan of Americans either. <clears throat> we love you, France. Uh, we, couldn't you love us back? All right, Winston Churchill says, Eisenhower, now in supreme command, was determined to avoid a battle for Paris. Stalingrad and Warsaw had proved the horrors of frontal assaults and patriotic risings, and he resolved to encircle the capital and force the garrison to surrender or flee. By August 20, the time for action had come. De Gaulle, remember our big tall guy, French guy that escaped? Mm -hmm. He's back. De Gaulle arrived the same day and was assured by the Allied Supreme Commander that when the time came, and as had been long agreed, Leclerc, Leclerc is the French general who's going to lead the troops into Paris. Leclerc's troops would be the first in Paris. That evening, that, evening news, that evening news of street fighting in the capital decided Eisenhower to act, and Leclerc was told to march. The operation orders dated August 23 began with the words, okay, great, we've got some French here, guys. Mission Saint-Pierre de Paris. How did I do? So I did get a translation for this so that, because Churchill never has a translation for his French. He just throws in French all throughout his memoirs, and I'm always like, what in the world is that? 
Mission, seize Paris. I like that. That's pretty cool. Early next morning, Balat's armored columns held both banks of the Seine, Seine opposite the city. By the afternoon, the headquarters of the German commander, General von Kollitz, in the Hotel Meris, were surrounded. Von Kollitz was taken before Leclerc. This was the end of the road from Dunkirk to Lake Chad and home again. Isn't that a cool statement? That would have been a good title for this too. Dunkirk to Lake Chad and home again. This is like the journey of a Christian. You see, it start, Dunkirk is a very, very dark situation in history where your government basically says, we're done. You're sort of on your own for this. And all, all the troops are sort of surrounded in a very desperate place. They're going to be supernaturally rescued. It's almost impossible to study the battle of Dunkirk and the miracle of Dunkirk without recognizing divine intervention. It's extraordinary what's going to happen. They're going to mysteriously escape off the shorelines of France and get to Great Britain. Hundreds of thousands of soldiers are going to make it across the English Channel in boats, like fishing boats, and uh, it's an amazing story. So from Dunkirk to Lake Chad and home again. In a low voice, Leclerc spoke his thoughts aloud. Maintenant, uh, say yist. <laughs> this is what it translates to, though. Now, this is it. And then in German, he introduced himself to the vanquished. After a brief and brusque discussion, the capitulation of the garrison was signed, and one by one, their remaining strong points were occupied by the resistance and the regular troops. The city was given over to a rapturous demonstration. German prisoners were spat at, collaborators were dragged through the streets, and liberating troops were feted or celebrated. On this scene of long-delayed triumph, here arrived General de Gaulle. At the Hotel de Ville, in company with the main figures of the resistance and Generals Leclerc and Juin, he appeared for the first time as the leader of Free France before the jubilant population. There was a spontaneous burst of wild enthusiasm. It sort of stirs me up. Now, again, I'm not French, right? And so I don't feel the depth of emotion that they would have felt of being held by the Germans captive. To the French people, Paris is a symbol. And so for Paris to fall was one of the greatest grief points. I remember when we had a a tornado that came through Windsor, oh, what was that, 11? No, it was even more than that, maybe 12, 13 years ago. Uh, it was a while ago, uh, and it devastated Windsor. And what it did to this one little block, it hit one of our main parks in Windsor where there were these huge, old, old trees that were just massive. And it just sort of knocked a whole bunch of them out. And I remember going to that park, which used to be almost completely shaded under these massive trees, and suddenly you have this bright sunlight coming down. You got these trees that they had to like chop off, and it's like not looking so hot. It's like someone, you know, taking uh, you know a, a razor and you know going one line down the side of their head, and it's just like that doesn't look quite right. And that's the way it, it felt. And it was interesting because I felt a grief. I felt a loss of something that could not be restored, without another hundred years. You know, it's like, wow, this is a big deal to lose something. That's the way the French people are feeling. Their entire heritage is being ransacked. Their, 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 their parents, 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 parents walked in these streets and had traditions in these streets, and now it is being taken over by Germans. 
that are hostile and that are ransacking and stealing and plundering and, and destroying, it, there's something wrong. There's a violation there. And so you could only understand in the restoration how jubilance, the wild enthusiasm that would be there. Okay, you know, you can at least try and put yourself in those shoes. But just imagine the restoration of all things in this earth. When that which God originally intended is once again brought back. Oh, guys, I mean, wild enthusiasm. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to be doing, but I remember when the Denver Broncos finally won a Super Bowl, how I responded. I mean, wild enthusiasm would be a pretty good description, and that's nothing compared to the kingdom of heaven coming to this earth. But I, I was driving down the interstate, and I've never honked a horn in my entire life. Okay, I mean, horns are there, but they're for people in New York, not for Eric Ludi. <laughs> and I was driving down the interstate, and I had so much excitement in my soul over the Broncos winning the Super Bowl. I know it's pathetic, isn't it? That I, I actually, eh, eh, and I honked as I was driving down the interstate. I was just like, yeah. I wanted to share it. I wanted to express it somehow. Okay, now that is pathetic next to what awaits us if we will choose to stand against the evil because this same day, this same liberation of Paris is a day of mourning for many. Isn't that interesting? Why would anyone mourn the liberation of Paris? Because they're the ones that helped put it in shackles for their own comfort and their own gain. And you're going to see the same thing when Jesus comes. You're going to see that mourning will break out amongst the nations. Isn't that interesting? Mourning? I mean, it's Jesus that's here. Yeah, for those that have stood with Jesus, this is a great day. For those that have stood against Jesus, this is a really sad hour. <laughs> Why would anyone choose to stand with Hitler? Isn't that just an interesting question? Why? Patan. Hitler? You could have been rejoicing with us in this day. Instead, you're mourning. It's a bad thing when the liberation of your country is something that becomes bad to you. Isn't, you can understand what I mean by that? It's a bad thing when the restoration of all things back to the way God originally created it becomes a mournful thing to you because it means your judgment day and you're not on the right side of the judgment. Proverbs 1, 29 through 33, they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. So uh, Stephen Kendrick, I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with Stephen Kendrick, but he's part of the Kendrick brothers that make the movies. So he sent me a text when I was preparing this message. And I was like, huh. I mean, he didn't give any commentary. He just sent that scripture. Uh, and then he sent uh, three quotes in three separate texts. So I figured, you know, if someone's going to risk sending me a text without commentary in the middle of my preparation time, I'm going to stick it in my message. So Stephen Kendrick, direct quote, fools are complacent and it destroys them. So I get this text <laughs> that says that. It's like, amen, amen. <laughs> but I want you to think about this. This is what was standing out to him. And for whatever reason, he felt you know, obliged to share it with me, which I appreciate, right? Fools are complacent and it destroys them. 
There's a time for action. There's a time when you're supposed to rise up. Instead, when you're complacent, it's like, oh, that's too much work. It actually will destroy you. And then he went on to say this in the next text. Complacent people are lazy, passive, and unconcerned about evil, danger, and the things they should care for and be very concerned about. Sitting on the couch while their family falls apart, hands off the wheel while they drift into oncoming traffic, sleeping on the Titanic as it sinks below the ice. Going to sleep, because some people did this, they went to sleep on the Titanic realizing it was going down because they didn't want to have to face it. But that doesn't change it. It actually still destroys you. Going to sleep in a time when you must rise up, be wide awake, and make clear, wise decisions is not going to solve things for you. It is actually going to lead to a destruction. And Stephen continues, the wise and prudent man looks around, sees danger or problems up ahead, and then adjusts his course to avoid them and protect himself. And you know, I was pondering that because that's sort of the theme that we have had this fall as a body, not just our, our training here, but our, our church. We don't know exactly what is going to happen up ahead, but we want to prepare ourselves for it so that we are the wise one instead of the fool that goes to sleep right now and says, maybe if I just close my eyes, it will all go away. That actually isn't how a Christian lives. A Christian is not afraid of the future. So therefore, we're not motivated by fear or anxiety to do anything. We are motivated by love for Jesus and a desire to do that which is right and that which will be most effective for the purposes of his kingdom, for his kingdom to come to this earth. How are we going to liberate Paris? Well, we're going to have to make some hard decisions right now, guys. First of all, we're going to have to side with Great Britain even if the rest of France goes with Hitler. So somehow I'm going to have to sneak onto a plane and get out of here. <laughs> I mean, literally, this, he's going to have to leave his homeland. He's going to have to leave his family. He's going to have to leave everything he knows and loves. De Gaulle is going to leave so that he can stand for that which is right. This is not easy stuff, guys. Are we willing to make difficult decisions to actually be the wise and prudent one? So there we are in the middle, and now I put a little black... Uh, haze over the right side, the, the, the German swastika, and I put a sort of a light haze over the British uh, one. Now, and the British one, I want you just to sort of focus on the red cross in the middle and forget that it's actually Great Britain, because Great Britain is not a, you know, this poster child for righteousness, right? And yet, and it's not that Germany is just all bad, right? But we're talking about the evil that it symbolizes in this story and the good that Great Britain would symbolize in this story, being symbolic of the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so there we are in the middle, French again, guys, uh, and you have the correct culture over here, and you have the kingdom culture. You're going to have to make a decision of which culture you want to be in. You see, when there's a blend and when the culture itself is godly, well, there's not as much of a demand to distinguish, but it's a gift to us as Christians in a strange way when the culture becomes increasingly dark. You know why? Because it forces the issue of separation so that we are not worldly. We are not with the world, we are with Christ. Sometimes where it's tough to even know, am I with the world or am I with Christ? They, I sort of blend them together. It actually really helps when the culture becomes dark because light becomes a lot more easily detectable. All right, so on, the, on this side, on the Nazi side, we have the complacency of the fool. And on this side, we have the readiness of the wise. Go to sleep, wake up. 
How about this one? Nazi rule forever. If we think that this world will continue to be ruled by the flesh, will be ruled by the powers of social correctness and political correctness, you can see why someone would side over here and go, you know what? This is always going to, this is going to be what wins the day. I'm going to side like Patan did with the winner, the one that I think is going to win. You think that the world's going to win? Or De Gaulle is returning. (laughs) Which way are you going in this, guys? Because I'm going to tell you ahead of time, uh, the king is going to return. He's going to return someday soon. Proverbs 22.2, the prudent sees the evil and hides himself. But the naive goes, go on and are punished for it. So go on as is, over on the left side, or my left side, your right side. Sort of confusing for me to communicate that. How about this one? Change now. My desire for us as a church is that we ready ourselves. What that means, it's fairly comprehensive. And so right now I'm just starting with a general statement. I think we need to position ourselves to be ready. Ready ready for what? Not exactly sure. But ready to act. Ready to speak. Ready to make tough decisions. Ready to die. Ready to suffer in our bodies. In other words, we are ready to represent the kingdom culture. We are ready to speak when we're asked. We're ready to act. We're ready to leave everything. We're ready to forsake our bank accounts if it comes down to it. Because I do not want to choose my bank account over my king. And so as a result, we are ready by relinquishing the hold that these things have on us or the things that we have on them now. Instead of waiting till the day of testing to make the decision. Actually, I'm already poor in spirit, sir. I've already given up everything. Now it's time to act. Thank you for the commission. My answer was yes months ago. Predecide your yes. Matthew 3 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Isn't that what I just said? Something is at hand, and so what do you do? You change, you alter, you, you ready yourself for the kingdom. The kingdom is coming. Let us ready ourselves. If you have a lamp, fill it with oil. You go and access that which you need in your lamp for when the bridegroom comes. Daniel 7, 13 through 14. This is talking about the coming Messiah in the end. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Matthew 24, 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man, which is referencing the Daniel passage, will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. When you see the coming of Eisenhower's troop and Patton's uh, divisions, and when you see de Gaulle exit his carriage in the streets of, or in his carriage going down the streets of Paris, Patan will mourn. Why would he mourn? Isn't this, doesn't he love France? He stood against France. And as a result, this is his judgment day. Revelation 1-7, behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn 
because of him. Even so, amen. You know something that not everyone knows. You know the end. Make your decisions in light of the reality of God's word. And it will go well with you. It will go well for you. The wise and the prudent are those who humble themselves and acknowledge that their own thinking is not superior to God's thinking. Let us come into alignment with God's thinking. Father, we love you and submit to you and we ask that you would demonstrate your power in our lives, that you would ready us, Holy Spirit, that we would be in agreement with you and where we are in disagreement at any level in our life, I pray that you would search us and try us at that point. And Lord, may we be made right. We love you and trust you and are anticipating great things ahead for the church of Jesus Christ. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellersley campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.